You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Hey, everybody. A couple of program notes uh, before we begin the show, before we get to your questions in a very interesting interview uh, with the proprietor of Smitten Kitten coming up in a few minutes. Uh, but a couple of program notes. First, June 13th in Seattle, we are going to have a live taping of the Savage Lovecast in front of an audience at the Neptune Theater. It's a benefit for Equal Rights Washington, which is the organization fighting to uh, preserve the new gay marriage law in Washington State. That's going on to the ballot most likely this November. So we're going to help them raise some money by having a live Savage Lovecast Live, Savage Love Live, Lovecast Live taping of the show. It's 20 bucks ahead. There'll be details coming up soon. You'll find those details at thestranger.com slash lovecast, and we'll be announcing them on the show. Another program note. Famously, a few weeks ago, uh, I said to a room with 3,000 high school students in it, journalism students, that uh, – there was bullshit in the Bible, and this caused a little fracas, a little kerfuffle, uh, caused my Twitter feed to blow up with people screaming at me about the Bible. One of those people screaming at me about the Bible was Brian Brown, the head of the National Organization for Marriage, who challenged me to a debate about the Bible and marriage and faith and whatever and said that I could name the time and the place. And he said, anytime, anywhere, savage, he threw down. And I've actually been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. I didn't want to just respond right away with here, then, now, ah. I really wanted to think about this. I don't think I really have an opportunity to debate Brian Brown ever again in my life. Uh, and, you know, I got a lot of suggestions from readers and listeners of uh, how and when and where, uh, including, you know, an uh, audience packed full of pro-gay marriage screamers. Uh, which he probably wouldn't agree to, but then he, you know, he said anytime, anywhere, so I could totally stack a room and sell tickets and make it a fundraiser, perhaps, for Equal Rights Washington or the organization in Maine that's fighting to legalize same-sex marriage there, or the organization in Minnesota that's fighting an anti-gay marriage amendment to that state's constitution in November. I could have done that. Uh, I could have been fair and said, you know, we'll get a room, we'll book this hall, you get half the tickets, I get half the tickets, and we'll fill it with my screaming partisans on one side and your screaming partisans on the other. And none of that really sort of sat well with me. I didn't, I didn't want to go the Coliseum route with this. So Brian Brown, this is for you. Here's my when and where. You said anytime, anywhere, I could name the time and place and I'm going to name it. Where? My dining room table. Place, Seattle, Washington. Here's the deal. You know, we can fill a room with my screaming partisans and your screaming partisans and we'll both play to our respective peanut galleries and I think both of us have a little bit of grandstander in our souls and we will work that. And I think that will create more heat than light. And so what I'd like to do is challenge you to come to my house for dinner, bring the wife, my husband will be there, and – I will hire a video crew and we will videotape sort of an after-dinner debate. And, and the trick here is you have to acknowledge my humanity by accepting my hospitality and I have to acknowledge yours by extending my hospitality to you. And I'm willing to do that. Now, so that, so that it's fair, I don't want you to think it's going to be stacked against you in any way. 
Mark Oppenheimer, who's a journalist at the New York Times, has written a profile of me for the New York Times Magazine and a profile of Maggie Gallagher, the former president of the National Organization for Marriage. Uh, and you guys, I've heard, thought that the profile of Maggie was totally fair and on the up and up. And I thought the profile of me was totally fair and on the up and up. Mark has agreed to moderate our dining room table debate. He'll come and he will be the moderator. Uh, my next door neighbor across the street, uh, John, stay-at-home dad, four kids, he's offered to cook the meal so that no homosexuals will have their fingers in your food before it gets to you. And we'll serve it family style so nobody can adulterate something that's served just you. We want, you know, I want you to be welcome and I will, we will be nice and John will cook. Uh, and then you and I will sit there with you with your wife if she can join us, uh, me with my husband, Mark, and his wife, uh, she'd like to come too. We'll sit around the table and we'll have dinner and we'll get to know each other as human beings a little bit. Uh, we'll videotape a little bit of that and then we'll turn the cameras on and Mark will moderate a debate between you and I about marriage, about the Bible, about whatever we want to talk about. And we will release that video online on YouTube, hour-long video, no edits, and you'll get to see it before we release it so that you'll see that there's no trickery, there's no you know edits to make me look good and make you look stupid. It's just an unedited hour-long tape of our debate. So there you go. Brian Brown, you said anytime, anywhere, I'm saying my dining room table after dinner. Are we on? Ball's in your court. Your call's after this. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to Squarespace.com and use offer code SAVAGE5. Are you feeling frisky? Well, put frisky down and please listen. If you want to take your sex life to the next level, check out our friends at exandria.com. The Exandria collection has the hottest sex toys and adult movies at unbeatable prices. Enter code SAVAGE right now and get 20% off your entire order. Do it now at exandria.com. That's X A N D R I A.com. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is Sarah from Canada calling with a question about etiquette. Uh, I started work at a new location about two months ago, and one of the women that works there, I really admire and think she's awesome, um, and she told us just a couple weeks ago that she's pregnant, and then today as we were leaving work, I found out for the first time that she uh, is a lesbian and has a lesbian partner, which is all fine and good, um, but I immediately jumped to can I ask how you're pregnant then? Because I wanted to know. But uh, I'm now thinking that maybe that was a really stupid thing to do because, I, I don't know, it just seems like an overly personal question. So just wondering what your thoughts are on asking awkward questions like that or if I was totally out of line. She handled it really well. She was really graceful and told me they went to a clinic. But, um, yeah, I'm just feeling kind of like an idiot about it. So was looking for your opinion. I tend to stay away from these pregnancy-related questions just because, you know, people are always asking inappropriate questions of people who are pregnant. You know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Uh, you can read Prudy for lots of questions about inappropriate questions directed at pregnant people. And I recommend you read Prudy. I read Prudy every week. I love Prudy. Uh, I guess this falls into my portfolio though because of the queer thing. When you meet somebody and they're straight and they tell you they're pregnant, you know they have a husband, you figure they were fucking. Maybe they weren't fucking. Maybe they had to go for IVF. Maybe it was implanted. Maybe you know the husband's sterile and it was a 
or the or the wife didn't have any eggs and it's a donor egg or donor sperm. Anything could have happened behind the scenes and you're not going to ask questions. You're just going to assume that they were fucking and they made a baby and now she's pregnant. When a lesbian says that she's pregnant, you can assume that they got sperm somewhere because they had to. It's not parthenogenesis. She got some sperm somewhere. Uh Baster baby, donor friend, IVF could be all those things just like it could be all those things for a straight couple. Um, I know that sometimes when a gay couple says that they're pregnant, it is a natural response to wonder how? How did that happen? You know, when Terry and I had DJ and he was a little baby and people would meet us as a couple with kids, people would look at us and go, how, how did you guys become parents? Which is pretty hilarious because it wasn't the butt fucking. I think it was pretty obvious that we had to have adopted – um, and because we weren't psychos, we were generally pretty calm about answering those questions. We're still calm about answering those questions. It's funny now about our kid being as old as he is. When he was a tiny child, he was a little child, a toddler, everyone assumed that we had adopted together. Now that he's a teenager, people assume that he's probably one of ours from a previous heterosexual relationship when we meet strangers, which is funny. I guess gay men can have little babies, but gay men with uh, grown children had wives at some point. But we always welcome those questions and it sounds like your lesbian uh, new coworker, new friend welcomed the question that it wasn't a question that she thought was out of bounds and she was happy to answer it in part to demystify what it is to be or to about to be a lesbian parent or a parent uh, same-sex couple with kids. And Terry and I always took that tack. We were happy to answer any questions in part to demystify. Uh, but if you're worried about offending people and you can't offend people because there are some touchy, thin-skinned douchebags out there who happen to be gay or lesbian, you could have asked that question and she could have blown up in a million ways. Um, if you're worried about offending people, don't ask the question. Don't ask the lesbian how she got pregnant. We know how she got pregnant. Somehow sperm got to egg and got in her. Just like any straight woman would get pregnant. You can infer that there was an, a male somewhere who blew a load. Somewhere in her vicinity or in the vicinity of a freezer that eventually got her the ice cube that got her the pregnancy. Uh, but I don't think it's an out-of-bounds or offensive question. But some queers do. Luckily, the queer you know, your new lesbian coworker, is cool, down with answering questions uh, and was happy to answer yours. And it speaks well to you that you're, uh, you're wondering if you did the right thing. In a way, you didn't. But in a way, you did. Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm a straight male in my mid-20s, and I have a little bit of a problem. Um, my girlfriend and I have an open relationship, which we both really enjoy. Uh, I particularly uh, enjoy seeing her with other men sexually. I like watching her have sex with other men. Uh, here is the problem. Uh, my girlfriend slept with another guy a few months ago. They haven't hooked up since then, but they talk periodically, Facebook, texting, sort of casual, things like that. Uh, I'm not really worried about things from her end. I trust her not to leave me for this guy. Uh, but the kind of things he says sometimes make me feel like he might have stronger feelings for her than I think he should, if only for his own health and happiness. He says things like how much he loves seeing her and asks if that's a weird thing to say, which my take on that is if you have to ask, it probably is. The thing that makes me worry is that he's saying the kind of things that I used to say to girls I really liked when I was single. And that, you know, makes sense. He's single, but at the same time, she isn't. My girlfriend doesn't seem too concerned and has assured me that 
he doesn't mean much to her, which I believe. Uh, but the whole thing sort of still gives me the willies. She doesn't respond with anything flirtatious or leading him on, but he just seems to come up with it on his own. I get he's navigating a sort of tricky situation as being a guest star in a pre-established relationship, but my question is this. Am I overreacting by being wary of this sort of talk? Can I ask for her to reiterate to him that he should sort of know his place and that maybe he should knock that kind of talk off? Can I talk to him and let him know that, well, I'm fine with whatever the two of them want to do sexually, the more intimate sort of emotional things, she should maybe tone down. Well, thanks for your help, Dan. Yeah, if this guy's violating, you know, boundaries that you two have established that make this degree of openness that you guys have achieved possible and feel safe for you both, then absolutely you should both speak to him and say, hey, sex is great and friendship is great, but – you know, you're throwing a lot of romance buzzwords out there and feely, feely, feely shit, and that's kind of clearing the deal for us. So you need to dial that back if you want to maintain access to my pussy, perhaps if your girlfriend says it. The other aspect of this, though, is, you know, sometimes a couple will have a very special guest star and maybe they have an open relationship. Maybe they're uh, you know, they're re- willing to see that special guest star regularly and then they get the sense that the special guest star is actually falling in love with someone, one person perhaps, in the couple. And then what do you do then as the couple? If you guys know as a couple that no romance with an outside person is possible, that you're not interested in any sort of polyamorous triad or, you know, a- a- another person being kind of intimately wrapped up in your relationship – the responsibility shifts to you to end it, to end it because that person is going to get hurt because that person is becoming emotionally involved and emotionally invested and you can let that person, uh, your third, in a situation like that, you can let them believe what they want to believe. You can smile and nod when they say things that are very clearly uh, you know, headed in the relationship direction or they're falling in love uh, and not disabuse them of that, not correct them, not tell them, hey, knock it off because you fear that they'll then not want to fuck you anymore. Right, And so you let them think what they want to think, feel what they want to feel so that you can continue to fuck that person. And that's not cool. That's not okay. You're setting that person up for a real uh, emotional car wreck when they realize that you don't return their feelings. You don't feel as strongly about that person uh, as that person feels about one or the other or both of you. Um, And then they'll feel a fool. They'll feel like they were misled. They'll feel like they were let on, manipulated and abused and in a way – Not in a way. They were. They were. You did. If you know that somebody that you're just seeing casually, you're just fucking for fun, is getting wrapped up in you and emotionally, is falling in love with you, and you don't lay down the law or end it, then you are taking advantage of that person. You are exploiting their affection for you, their feelings for you to keep their pants around their ankles. And that's not cool. Are you ready for some mind-blowing sex? Then check out our friends at exandria.com. The Exandria Collection has the hottest sex toys for men and women at unbeatable low prices. They've been putting smiles on faces for more than 35 years, and everything they sell comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee and is delivered with absolute discretion. Whether you're single, in a relationship, or just bored, they'll put a zip in your step. Guaranteed. Don't settle for ordinary, experienced, truly orgasmic sex. Shop now and save 20% off your entire order. Just enter code SAVAGE during checkout. Start shopping now at exandria.com. That's X-A-N-D-R-I-A dot com. 
Hi, Dan. I'm a 34-year-old straight male. Um, divorced about a year, you know, back in the dating scene for about a year now. Um, and when I was married, like, our sex was always very vanilla, but good vanilla. We had a good time. Um, and I knew getting back in a dating pool, I was going to be kind of like experiencing just different people's, you know, what different people are into and all that. And I was cool with that. And I'm kind of noticing lately that, uh, there's this thing where women want to stick a finger in my ass when we're having sex. And I knew that people were into that, but I'm really not. And I'm starting to notice, like, like people are, <laughs> a couple of girls have kind of made a comment that I'm so, like, like when they start to go back there, I kind of just punch them, like, no, 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 no. And it's like, it's not like a homophobic thing. Like, I'm not worried that it's like, it makes me gay or it's going to turn me gay. It's just the idea of it. I, honestly, when, <laughs> when I listen to your podcast, like, whenever you're talking, you know, really in depth about anal sex, whether it's for gay people or straight people, I kind of use, like, I, as you say, it squicks me out and I, I tend to click past those phone calls. Um, just, I've always kind of just, I've always been in that as an out hole only. And I don't know, it's like, is, is that just me being too uptight or is that something I should, I, I mean, I've heard it's a very fun experience, even for straight guys, you know, having, I don't know, like a prostate back and all that, but just the thought of getting past the opening to get to the pleasurable part is like, in the, especially in the heat of the moment, it's kind of like, no, do not want that. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think? Is that something I need to lighten up on? Is it worth it to just grip my teeth and bear it and go through it and see what's on the other side? And how would I go about doing that? What's on the other side is a prostate gland. Also, billions of nerve endings uh, that some people find very pleasurable when they're stimulated. But there's a prostate gland, and a lot of guys, particularly gay guys, find that if you poke and prod at that, it can intensify your orgasm. If you want to experience that solo without the pressure of a female partner clawing her way into your asshole, uh, you can get a little tiny butt plug and you can grease it up and insert it and forget it. It kind of slides in and locks into place. It looks like a lava lamp. It goes in your ass. Uh, your sphincters grip around the narrower part of the bottom of the base and it holds it in place. And then when you come, your your sphincters clench and that will gently move the butt plug against your prostate gland. And that is an intense and crazy feeling. But you're not obligated to go there. If you don't want to do butt play, if it holds no appeal for you, you don't have to do it. And I have a trump card. I am going to give you such a gift. And I'm going to admit something I don't really want to admit, lest I be accused of hypocrisy. But these women who, when they try to claw their way into your ass, uh, suggest that you might be homophobic because you don't want a finger in your ass. All you have to do is look at them and say, do you know who Dan Savage is? Dan Savage doesn't like a finger in his ass. And Dan Savage ain't homophobic, right? Some guys just don't like how a finger in the butt feels. And I'm one of them, caller. I don't like how that feels. I think it's bony and gross and weird. It feels like the alien crawling. It just doesn't work for me. And so uh, anybody who tries to stick a finger in my ass gets the same reaction that these women have gotten from you. And it's not a homophobic one. I am not homophobic. I am in bed with a dude. We're doing some butt stuff, just not that butt stuff. So you can toss that out there and uh, – Deflect that charge of homophobia. I would encourage you, though, you know, what you describe, the all of it, the being squicked out by the calls and having to skip past calls about anal uh, and always thinking of it as an outhole, that points to a hang-up. And sometimes hang-ups are, are blocks that prevent you from accessing all sorts of crazy fun pleasure. Now, there may be enough crazy fun pleasure in your sex life that you don't need to ever address that hang-up or work past that block. But, you know, you might find that if you can 
alone, solo, no pressure, no partner, low expectations, ability to bail. You're not going to fail anyone. No one can make an accusation because you're just by yourself. It's just you and a little lump of silicone butt plug. If you can work that into your ass and then forget it's there and jerk off, you will see what all the excitement is about. You will see why so many straight guys these days are down with the finger in the ass, down with pegging, down with butt plugs because they've realized something that gay men have always known. That if you can crawl up there and punch that prostate gland right in the nose, it's going to make your orgasm 10,000 times more intense. But you don't got to. You don't got to do anything. You don't got to do it. You can be an outhole all your life. Uh but it's a hang-up. But I don't think it's a homophobic one necessarily. And if it is a homophobic one, I share it. Hi, this is one of the tech-savvy at-risk youth. And here at the Lovecast, we highly recommend Squarespace.com. It's the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. They have easy-to-use UI for creating and managing a website or blog, and it's optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. They have hundreds of design templates to choose from, and you can customize any of the designs to fit your needs. Here are a couple of examples of other sites that have used Squarespace.com that we like. Degree.org, that's D-G-R-E-E.org. They have a video slideshow that's just super well done. And uh, OKGeek.com, that's O-K-A-Y Geek. Dot com. It's slick and well done. These are just a couple good examples. Squarespace has great support and weekly webinar classes, so you can get in there and learn how to make your website super fabulous. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com. Sign up for a free account. No credit card needed. Just try it out and start building your website. Then, if you decide to purchase it, use offer code SAVAGE5 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. It'll help us out a lot here at the Lovecast if you do. That's squarespace.com and use offer code SAVAGE5. Sometimes I get letters at Savage Love that I wish had been calls for the podcast because it's a longer conversation than you can have in 1,200 words, which is the word count for my column. I got a letter from a, a couple, a straight couple, busted out some sex toys, old sex toys that were in a box under the bed. They had kids. You know, you begin to neglect your sex toys after you have kids. There ought to be a law. They busted out some sex toys that were under the bed and began to use them and then their genitals began to itch and burn and they went skipping down to the shower and showered off and they believed the suspects might be their old sex toys, which had been sort of moldering in a sweaty box under the bed in their bedroom. Ignored. Uh, the revenge of the ignored sex toys. Uh, and there's actually been a lot of uh, discussion about certain chemicals in sex toys and whether they're good for you or bad for you. And joining us by phone is Jennifer Pritchett, owner of Smitten Kitten, a sex toy store in Minneapolis, Minnesota can visit their store online at smittenkitten.com. And she's a pioneer in what's being called the non-toxic sex toy movement. Jennifer Pritchett, thanks for joining us today. You might have a theory as to what was going on with their genitals. What is that theory? Uh, my theory is that they were using a, a plastic, a soft plastic sex toy. Probably it was sold um, called jelly, like a jelly dildo. And what it was really happening, it was made of PVC that was softened with a phthalate plasticizer, which is a class of chemicals that makes generally really rigid PVC, um, like plumbing pipe, you know, that stuff you use for construction. Mm -hmm. That's what PVC is like without a plasticizer in it or without phthalates. To get them so soft that they would be pliable enough to be pleasurable for penetration, they have to use these chemicals in them. And those chemicals, when they get in touch with your skin, cause burning. So and wait, wait, wait. So if these chemicals are present in sex toys and they burn and they're selling these 
jelly sex toys everywhere. How come everyone's vagina isn't on fire? Well, a lot of people's vaginas and assholes are on fire. <laughs> that's the thing. And that's the really shitty thing about a culture that is so permeated with sexual shame mm-hmm. is it prevents people from talking about it. It prevents people from talking to their doctors about it. It prevents doctors from learning about it. You know, people, we just have such a culture of ignorance around um, sex toys because of the shame associated with sexuality, and it has allowed companies to make millions and billions of dollars selling really crappy products for novelty use only, and uh, they were never meant to be used. You know, it was all a big joke in somebody's head, but the thing is is that we really use them. Sex toys are a part of so many of our lives, and I have had, before I knew any better, I had jelly dildos too. And I think like a lot of women, we think, oh, there's something wrong with my body. Like, oh, you know, the dildo is burning. It's causing me discomfort. There must be something wrong with me. I must have an infection. I must be allergic to this toy. It's, we internalize it mm-hmm. when really what I've been working so hard to do is shed light on the industry that's making these um, now the, and put the, the, the onus back on them. These phylates aren't just in sex toys. I'm looking at the wiki page for that chemical class. They're in pharmaceutical pills, nutrition supplements, gelling agents, lubricants, binders, emulsifying agents, uh, adhesives, glues, building materials, personal care products, medical devices, detergents, packaging, toys, modeling, clay, waxes, paints, paintings, pharmaceuticals, food products, textiles, fishing lures, caulk, paint, pigments, shower curtains, vinyl upholstery, adhesives, floor tiles, food containers and wrappers, cleaning materials, perfume, eyeshadow, moisturizer, nail polish, liquid soap, hairspray, and... Uh, says Wiki, sex toys made of so-called jelly rubber. This shit is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous. If it's if it's vinyl, PVC is just vinyl, polyvinyl chloride vinyl. Vinyl is everywhere. It's the dashboard of your car. It's the it's everywhere, and that's part of the problem too. Is that we are getting exposed to these chemicals from so many different sources and in such a random way that our bodies are becoming toxic soup. Okay, now, um, now, now, if there's this shit is in the vinyl upholstery, you're just you know you're wearing your jeans, yeah. you're sitting on your couch, it yeah. isn't seeping into your vagina. It's not inside. Yes, exactly. no. When it comes to and, a jelly sex toy, you're sticking this in your vagina. No, it's been my experience, and I have some experience with jelly sex toys. Just going to throw that out there. Sorry to burden you. Uh, any relatives mm-hmm. who might be listening with that mental image, it's been my experience that they don't burn, but as with my call, my the readers who wrote, they degrade. And yes. then the chemicals begin to leach, and then it's a problem. Well, they're always leaching out. The thing about the plasticizers is they're not molecularly bonded to the PVC. That's why you can smell them. If you open up a jelly sex toy, you know that smell. Mm-hmm. Most people do. That's, you're, you're inhaling it. That's the plasticizers coming out of it, and you're inhaling it. So you're getting exposed um, through your lungs, and your blood supply that way. Okay, so um, what's, what's the solution for people who want dildos are they in everything the the these phthalates no no they're only phthalates are only going to be found in pvc toys the problem is there's no ingredients label or regulation about what can be in sex toys and certainly no truth and labeling requirements so it's really a buyer beware sort of situation which is why i like to tell people go in anywhere shopping and ask to smell it that's a weird thing to do (laughs) (laughs) ask to smell a sex toy in a store yeah make sure you're not at the used sex toy emporium (laughs) yeah right super gross but if you can smell a a chemical coming out of that sex toy, you know that it's off-gassing something. You don't know what it is, but why take a chance on it? You'll never know unless you send it to a chemist 
and have them to formulate it. Mm-hmm. Which who's going to do that? Okay, so Except how for it, me. I did it. You did? Yeah. Tell I us said, about that. Um, so here's the thing. When you're looking, like you're looking at the Thalates Wiki page and you're, you're finding more information, it's like you listed off all those things, like all these different industries use vinyl. And the most, um, I guess the best example, analogous example is children's toys. And there's lots of legislation all over European Union countries and even the United States now about the level of phthalates that can be allowed in children's toys. And the percentages of phthalates in children's toys that people start to worry about start at one-tenth of one percent, right? So one-tenth of one percent of the total volume of that kid's toy, you know, something that they're going to put in their mouth, Mm -hmm. like kids under three, they start to worry about that for the health and safety effects. These sex toys that we tested, we sent to a lab in California called Expert Chemical Analysis. Um, they deformulated them, and we found that that Vibratex rabbit habit um, that got so famous on the Sex in the City show in the early 2000s was 60% diacetyl phthalate. Wait, wait, it was what percent? 60%. 6 0? 6 0. That is insanity. Like, it's total insanity. And when I found out that, um, that's when we, at that point, we really started to go public with it because we're not talking about a tenth of a percent or one percent or even five percent. At that time in that toy, 60 percent. It's outrageous. Okay, so what, what are the options for people who want to be able to stick things in their vaginas and their butts that aren't 60 percent <laughs> napalm? What are their options? Yeah, really. Well, the, the best option is just a hundred percent silicone toy. And those are out there. Those are out there, and they're out there. They're even, there are companies like Doc Johnson, which is one of the largest sex toy manufacturing companies in the world, are making a whole line of Platinum Cure silicone toys mm-hmm. that are awesome. They're good quality material. They're nice shapes, and they're cheap. So no longer, and this used to be an argument that people said, well, jelly toys are so much cheaper. We can't afford silicone. It's so expensive. That's not true anymore. And what about... Um, you can, what about glass? What about marble? Perfect. Perfect. Anything that's non-porous, like glass, ceramic, stone, surgical stainless steel. Which uh, the, uh, Wait there. Pause right fine. there. Pause right there. Surgical stainless uh, steel. My favorite yeah. sex toy, sex toy company, Enjoy. Are you Enjoy. familiar? They're awesome. Yes. I love their toys. And they're basically stainless steel amazing things for your butt they and your twat. Are. They are. They are so good. They're great. And that's, that's a, a really great example. The problem is before um, people started making silicone toys, which are soft, there really wasn't an alternative that was soft. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody wants a stainless steel toy or a glass or a ceramic toy. And there, are, there, are dangers to, there are dangers to stainless steel toys. I have a friend, actually a friend, not me. If this happened to me, I'd admit it, who was washing his stainless steel enjoy thing over his sink and bobbled it and dropped it and his oh. porcelain sink shattered. Oh, yeah. Very sad. That is very sad. That's but as a sex sad. toy, it's awesome and to think your sex toy is stronger <laughs> than your sink and made of sturdier stuff uh, yeah. than your yeah, sink. It's it kind of amazing sense, to think about. Um, okay, so your advice, just advice generally to people who are out there shopping for sex toys, thinking about sex toys, they do need to think about what it's made of. And it's very hard to know what it's made of. Like you said, there's no requirement to list ingredients. There's no regulation. It really is a buyer beware situation. Every sex toy store I go to online 
has uh, phylate-free stuff, but they don't – or phalate-free, but they don't label shit as phalate-free lest they uh-huh. stigmatize the stuff that they carry that is still phalate-full. Yep. So f- to, to educate shoppers, besides they should all go to smittenkittenonline.com if they want a completely phalate-free shopping experience, what do shoppers look for in other sex toy stores or just out there and around? Or if somebody busts out a sex toy from under the bed, what should they look for? Well, although it, it might be a weird thing, like I said, the best thing to do is smell it. <laughs> you know, silicone sex toys, just like a metal or glass toy, it's not going to smell like anything. No odor. That is a really good sign right there. And, and if it does smell like something, it's not silicone. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is to look or it's for not brands clean. that you trust. Or it's not or clean. Or it's not clean, right. Well, and silicone is so easy to clean. Just soap and water cleans it. Like, they're super hygienic. You can sterilize them by boiling them. Just like this. So easy. Yeah. But um, also just find a brand Wait, did we just say, wait, wait, did we just say you could sterilize dicks by boiling them? Because I, I need to correct the record. We can't just let that out there. I don't want... 15-year-old boys all over America tomorrow <laughs> yeah, listen to the oh podcast God, boiling no. their dicks. No, no, silicone, silicone toys. You can boil a silicone toy, but you can't boil a boy. Just remember that. Yeah, and you can't boil a jelly toy either. If you boiled a toxic jelly toy, you would have soup, really toxic soup. Don't do it. It's not good. Okay, so what, people, but, uh, what do people look for when they shop? Um, silicone. For a company they trust. Mm-hmm. They, want, they want silicone. That's basically what you want. Silicone yep. or steel, something non-porous. Uh, yeah, I really do recommend. Uh, you know, they don't pay me anything. Uh, this is totally like Oprah's favorite things, but Dan's and for butts. I do recommend that people go to njoytoys.com dot com and check out their product line if you're at all concerned about uh, toxic shit, shit in your sex toys. This is surgical grade stainless steel stuff, and it's amazing. Yeah, and it's it a lot is. more comfortable really than people might think it would be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree totally. So are you working with other sex toy merchants and stores across the country? Or is anybody else as exercised about this issue as you are? Yeah, there is actually a new sort of coalition of sex toy stores called the Progressive Pleasure Club, mm-hmm. called uh, PPC for short. And there's a Progressive Pleasure Club Facebook page, too. But there's about 10 retailers all across North America that um, are really on the up and up about toxic toys. They're education-based. They're legit companies. So... Any of those stories would be wonderful. Name some names. Um, uh, uh, Self Serve in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is a, a wonderful store. And the women who own that store, Molly and Mady, they started PPC. Um, there's a great store in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, called the Tool Shed. Uh, Baltimore, Maryland, there's a store called Sugar. Um, there's a great little store in Oakland, California, called Feelmore 510. Um, there's a store also in San Diego called the Rubber Rose. There's stores all over that are really, really fabulous. And you can learn more about the Progressive Pleasure Club uh, at progressivepleasureclub.com, which I'm looking at right now. Yeah, it's great. And all those stores, um, if, if you find brands at any of those stores or that all of us carry, you know that's a safe brand. And it might be available at your neighborhood sex store, too. So if, if you want to shop closer to home, just look and, and write down those brands and then... You know, that'd be one way to do it, too. Okay, Jennifer Pritchett, owner of Smitten Kitten uh, in Minneapolis and smittenkittenonline.com, pioneer in the non-toxic sex toy movement. Thank you so much for the download. We really appreciate it. Yep, thanks, Dan. Take care. Bye. Hey, Dan. I'm a gay guy living on the West Coast, and it's Saturday morning, and I'm making the biggest walk of shame of my life from... 
one area of town, let's say, to an area four hours away over some mountains. Um, basically, last night, I got, I was taken to a friend's party, a friend of a friend, uh, older gay couple, and um, one of the guys started to hit on me, and immediately um, I told him that I was interested, but I just wanted to get consent from his boyfriend, um, and I just wanted to, you know, I was interested in some type of three-way situation just to, like, you know, I was, but I, yeah, I was definitely, I was came to have fun with him, but I just wanted to know that his boyfriend was okay with it. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. Then I ended with me naked in a hot tub, getting it on with this guy while his boyfriend kind of like paced in between the house and outdoors and eventually locked himself in the bedroom and we were stuck outside. And the guy who told me his boyfriend would be okay with everything just kept on lying to me. Um, I don't know if it was just because he was an actor or, or what, what happened there. But basically, he just seemed like a complete pathological liar, a very rich pathological liar. Now, I just kind of, like, stuck out of the house, leaving a post-it under the door for the boyfriend, saying that I had no intention of, you know, in any way hurting the relationship. But my question about this is, what do I do about the fact that a friend of mine brought me to this this house? This, this These people, like, my friend brought me to her friend's house to this party and then this is what happened. This is the first time I met these this couple. Um, do I just kind of like have to ignore them for the rest of my life now? Um, do I tell her all the details about this? I'm calling to find out if you right. made it home. Yeah, but it was not very easy. I actually started walking on the freeway and then had to call a friend once they woke up to pick me up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Have you spoken to the friend who brought you to this party? That was your question, right? What do you say to the friend who brought you to this party about what happened? Right, yeah. She actually, yeah, she was actually the one that ended up uh, picking me up from a location which I just had to kind of, like, find on the, on the, like, on the street corner off the side of the freeway. Mm-hmm. Did you tell her what happened? Um, from the best of what I could remember of the night, I kind of, well, a combination of what I could remember and what I was like wanted her to know about but um i that most of the um the more intimate details of the night okay listen i don't want you to feel like you did anything wrong you were taken advantage of by somebody older richer more powerful more glamorous you were used uh you didn't lie to anyone you were the subject of a lie that was told to someone else so you have nothing to be ashamed of. If yeah. your, your only thing that you could even be dinged for at all is that there's a little bit of dickful thinking there, that you actually thought, well, I should probably check with the boyfriend. And then when the other guy reassured you that you didn't need to and it was cool, you kind of then thought, okay, I can avoid that conversation. You know, cause what if the, and I'm sure on some level, subconsciously, your, your brain went, and if the boyfriend isn't okay with it, I'm not going to hear that because now I'm not going to check. Uh, I feel like I just wanted a really dance. I wanted a Dan Savage approved uh, night. And I feel like the moment <laughs> that I thought I was going to have this uh, really, really hot threesome, I just like, I don't know. I just like, how do I do everything so this is going to happen? And somehow right. I and, thought I did everything right. And, and, and that's the only not thing. Not being you, as hot as I thought it would be. And you just didn't do your your full due diligence. You know, this guy hit on you. He's partnered. You said, is your boyfriend okay with this? I don't want to do it if your boyfriend's not okay with it. And he said, my boyfriend's fine with it. And his boyfriend was there. And you, the only thing you can be dinged for is not then turning to his boyfriend and saying, is this okay with you? 
which is what you will do now yeah. in future. You will never be in this situation again. If anybody in a couple ever hits on you again, you will know now, and everybody who's listening to your call will know now, to do their complete and full due diligence, which includes talking to the partner who isn't hitting on you and making sure it's all cool. Yeah, yeah. there's so many hints going on from both of them that things are good. And even the boyfriend, I like, thought he was interested, and he verbally communicated that he was going to come and hang out with us in this hot tub. You know, we were, like, naked. He, he kept, like, saying, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming. And I kept them leaving the hot tub once, you know, this guy was, like, basically trying to get me to do everything possible to him in the hot tub. And I'm, like, I kept leaving to find his boyfriend. And he's, like, oh, I'll come in a second. And I finally, like, you know, the third time I went to find him, he had just locked himself away in the bedroom. Oh, I'm so sorry. So it does sound like you do you, you did your due diligence. You were doing it. You were just doing it naked and in a hot tub. So you're, 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 to, be faulted, I know, I know. you're to be faulted for nothing. You were used and yeah. you were lied to by a couple of drama queen fucking psycho assholes. Right. And, and also, like, once I told my friend, that my, my friend who brought me, she was really like, this is really between those guys. Like, they have their own drama and fights all the time. And basically, you know, the boyfriend is upset because, you know, his boyfriend, the one who is the biggest asshole, you know, he's this pretty famous actor. So I think he just, like, you know, gets used to getting all the attention and his boyfriend's sick of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Drama seeking missiles. Drama seeking assholes. And you were just yeah. grist. So you, you're not to be faulted. You really aren't. And I, wish you could, I wish you could have seen me trying to get home. Like, like I, I, walked, I walked 10 miles on that, that morning. I'm sorry. It's good it for the glutes. It was the hottest morning of my life. It's horrible. It's good for the glutes. Right? <laughs> you can skip the gym for a couple of days yeah. after a 10-mile walk in your party shame party clothes. Walk the yeah. same outfit. No, it's the best workout I've had in a while. <laughs> That's the right attitude to take. You know, and the next time somebody super yeah. duper famous, unless it's me, hits on you, you just know to do your due diligence. You know to nail everything down before you nail anyone down. All right, that's the lesson you take away from yeah, this. Yeah, thank you. Good luck. I'm that's so cool. sorry this happened to you, but you will be telling thank you. this. Wait, can you can you wish me can you wish me luck in finding a guy in Israel? I wish you luck finding a guy in Israel. You're going to have to get to Tel Aviv. You're going to have to get the fuck out of Jerusalem to find a guy in Israel, I think. I know, I know. I'm, I'm going to go back. I have to go back there. The, I beaches, think... the beaches are awesome there. Yeah, the gay boys don't hang out in Jerusalem. Well, good luck, and I'm sorry that happened to you. But you'll, this is a story you will be dining Thanks. out on for the rest of your life. Look on the bright side. <laughs> a bear didn't eat you. You're not dead. Um, nothing happened that, you know, hopefully put you at risk of, uh, you know, HIV or anything else. And this is a story you will be able to tell and regale people with for the rest of your life yeah that's, now, that's a good way to think about it thanks so much talk to you soon good luck thanks dan bye hey dan my name is matt um i'm calling because uh i have a cousin who's 16 years old i live in new york and she lives in massachusetts she calls me a lot as sort of a confidant and uh looking for advice a lot of the time um she's by she has a lot of the same emotional problems that most or a lot of 16-year-old girls have, doesn't really seem to have much of a sense of self and is depressive. But she has been telling me recently that she has been flirting with and getting closer with a guy who is uh, 29 years old. And she's 16, and I looked it up, and the age of consent in Massachusetts is 16, even though there's an inclusion in that law for 18-year-olds if they're of of chaste life is the legal wording. Um, and I think to this point in her life, she is of chaste life. 
I, I, I don't want to come down on her in the way that her parents would because I don't want to get cut off and then have her go and do whatever she's going to do and just not tell me about it. But I do want to share with her my uh, concern about what this guy uh, actually is versus what he might look like to a lonely 16-year-old girl. Any advice on how I can talk to her about this and not sound like an angry authoritarian, but definitely my goal is to talk her out of it. Here's how you keep the lines of communication open with your 16-year-old niece. You game this out with her. You run the program with her. You ask her to talk with you at length about who this guy is, what he wants, what she wants. You acknowledge her right at the age that she is, if she is a legally consenting age, to make her own choices, to fuck the people that she wants to fuck, that there are certainly people out there who had sex with people in their 20s when they were teenagers who were fine, who were healthy. Not all of those relationships are exploitative. Familiarize her with the campsite rule that I created and, of course, the teen sympathy rule that accompanies it. Google them both. And then just run out – game out the scenarios, like who this guy is, what he could want and allow her to talk. Allow her to talk. Ask her a lot of questions about his possible motives. What you don't want to do is Romeo and Juliet this up. You don't want to declare the guy a piece of shit asshole because he's interested in her. And Although the odds that he is a piece of shit asshole if he's almost 30 and he's trawling for 16-year-old girls online are really high. That he comes in for a greater degree of scrutiny. That's what you should tell her. I'm not saying he's an asshole. I'm not saying you're a fool for being attracted to him or interested in him. And I'm not saying he necessarily is some exploitative piece of shit that he's interested in you. But the chances that he's an exploitative piece of shit, the chances that he's an asshole are higher. So we need to really look at him. We need to really with cold eyes, you and I together, do this with her. Game out who he is, what he's about, what he's after and really think about it critically. Really think about him critically. Because that's how she can protect herself. And what you're doing, if you have the conversation the right way, is you're empowering her to use her own um, brain to determine whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. Rather than you just declaring him a bad guy, you're empowering her to really assess him, really think about who he is, to acknowledge that the bar does need to be set higher because of the age difference, because of her being 16 and him being 29, and that she needs to think about it critically. And she may come to the conclusion that he isn't who she thought he was or that he may not be the person that she thinks he is and so she's going to take it super duper extra slow. But what you want to do with this conversation is not say you mustn't, you shouldn't, I'm calling the police unless of course it's illegal where you are. Uh, What you want to say to her is you need to really think about this. If you give her permission to really think it through and then to make her own choice, the odds that she will choose not to fuck this guy if he's bad news are much higher. If you just tell her, oh my God, you're an idiot and he's an asshole, don't do this, I think the odds that she does fuck the guy jump. So long, drawn-out, open-ended conversations where you ask leading questions that inspire her to think and think critically, where you don't condemn, you don't judge, you draw her out. Hi, Dan. I think your advice to the young man who's a recovering alcoholic was Right on. It is not the most important thing about him, so not what he should start a date off with. And over the years, I found a few ways to handle the situation. I 
often say that I'm allergic, and if they press, I say, well, it turns me into an asshole. Or I say, um, you know, that I'm allergic and it just doesn't agree with me, and we move on from there. Or, I, uh, depending on the person, I can be pretty light and say, well, in about an hour I'd be dancing on the table over there singing print songs really badly, and no one wants that. Hi, Dan. I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober uh, over 11 years. And I date, and I meet a lot of girls online on, on websites, and oftentimes the first date will be to grab a drink or something like that. And I'll order something like a cranberry and tonic, and if they ask, I usually disclose early. They'll say, why don't you drink? And I'll say something. I'll treat it like a superpower. You know how you talk about superpowers? I say something like, oh, I'm a raging alcoholic. And they'll be like, no way. And I'll say, yeah, but, you know, I've been sober like 11 years. And they'll be like, that's really great. That's amazing. And usually they'll tell me a story about somebody else that they know or something like that. And we finish our drinks and we make out. You know, it usually works. It works okay. Um, I don't make a big deal about it. I sort of play it off like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm over it. It's made me a better person. Um, I can handle adversity. I can grow. And I've never felt like somebody has shot me down or written me off because of it. Of course, 11 years is a lot different than this guy who called. That's a year and a half. But that's just, you know, stay sober. And one day you'll have 11 years. And it won't make a difference. And people will think it's cool. And you get laid. I'm calling in response to episode 291 about the girl who got downed after six dates and um, kind of wanted to know why, wanted some closure. And it just reminded me of a girl that I knew who dated my my roommate, a guy, and she, they were hanging out and everything was going okay. And then all of a sudden he kind of stopped calling her back and she was pissed and she called him out on it. And she called him up and said, you know, you need to tell me on my face. Like, why are you ignoring me? Why are you over it? And he said, quote, when I smell a woman, I want to be totally into it and, and totally enthralled or, or I feel nothing, and I just don't like the way that that you smell. And uh, anyway, <laughs> that definitely made me feel like I'm probably never going to ask anybody why they don't want to be with me in the future. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Brian Brown at NAM. You can call that number, 206-201-2720. Are there some dates in late June, mid-June that work perfectly for me and Mark Oppenheimer? Come to dinner. Bring the wife. Let's have that debate anytime, anywhere. My dining room table after dinner. 206-201-2720. That's the number. Give us a call if you want to record a question or comment or RSVP, Brian Brown. Follow me on Twitter, at FakeDanSavage. You can comment on every show at www.thestranger.com slash lovecast. Uh, and of course, you listen to this excellent Savage Lovecast every week coming to you live from the 23rd floor of the Washington Mutual Building in downtown Seattle. 206-201-2720. Me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Hopefully some news about Brian Brown, RSVPing, and the debate being on. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you next Tuesday.